What I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this last week, is um, you know the shootings in Christchurch, and I want to talk about them because um, not just that, but I think it's always important to relate to what's happening in the world. It's easy to come in. I think a lot of people sometimes just want to come into a, uh, a meditation um, zone and just like shut out what's really happening, but that's not how this works. This is really a, a practice, a place of practice for um, learning how to hold what's happening in the world with that continuity of mindfulness that we're developing and taking with us. So I think it's important to touch on those things. And it's interesting, I was going back over my notes because I've, I've talked, unfortunately, about this kind of thing before. And I was going over, uh, because I keep my Donna talk notes, and I'm looking at talks about Char Charlottesville and Ferguson and Orlando and Paris and, and these the shootings that go on, and I, I have this piece here, this thing in the corner to commemorate the um, the synagogue, the shooting in the synagogue last year, and then I wanted to get a piece for the the mosques, the shootings in the mosques last week. Um, although this 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 um, cloth is from Syria, so you know that's that's. Uh, something from a, a, a Muslim country, but um, just, to, uh, just to recognize that this is, this is shit that's been going on, and it's not, you know, it's, it's part of the world we inhabit these days, and how do we hold all this, and where is Buddhism in this? How does Buddhism help us connect or hold or relate to? And when I was reflecting on this the other day, I came up with kind of two directions that that um, this these teachings could take us, and the first one is the road of um, love and how to um, respond and hopefully respond or the intention to respond. And you know, there's the the line in the Dhammapada that hatred never ceases through hatred, you know, only through love, and this is the eternal truth. And that um, I think it was that day, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, I got a, an email from Ruth King. She, her, no, I didn't get an email from Ruth King, but it's her newsletter. And she had a quote from Audre Lorde, which said, we have to consciously study how to be tender with each other until it becomes a habit. So our immediate reaction may not be one of kindness or compassion for the, for the victims, of course, but for in general, um, uh, there's always a lot of anger and rage and despair and those other kinds of emotions that arise which are perfectly natural but it's not necessarily beneficial to hang out in those places. I mean, really um, big picture hopefully can get to a place of softening so that we're not carrying around the hatred because when we're angry and there's rage and um, those those. Um, powerful emotions, it doesn't do anybody else, it doesn't do anything to anybody else. It really just kind of eats it, unless we walk around behaving, you know, acting on our emotions, acting from hate, acting from rage, acting from anger. Um, <clears throat> it, it doesn't really have an impact on anyone but us. And um, 
how do we do that? And it's, I think, really bringing our minds to that, really paying attention of how we're responding to things, where we're ending up in things. And um, there's another quote I have from Jack Kornfield who says, by practicing with mindfulness, we align ourselves with those who refuse to hate and with each moment of, com and with each moment of compassion sow seeds of peace. So we don't align ourselves with we don't align ourselves with hate, and sow seeds of compassion and peace. Um, we support the cause and conditions that reduce violence. So really making an effort to be mindful and to pay attention. And I was talking about this the other night, and somebody was saying, because I was talking about um, you know uh, the guy who the guy who uh, committed the the shootings in. In New Zealand cited Trump and white supremacy and I didn't read but from what I heard that he was a white supremacist and we have the rise of white supremacy in this country and somebody was talking about the hatred they carry you know the hatred they have towards the people who are who the white supremacists and um, not that it, like I said not that it's impacting those people at all but it's impacting them and I and my uh, my suggestion was to allow the idea that that's not where you want to stay. Allow the idea into your mind that you want to move towards a place, a place of, of compassion and kindness and, and wisdom, seeing clearly that, you know, what did somebody said, hurt people hurt people. That a lot of times these people who commit these horrific acts have some, some something in their background that causes them to behave. Or they're just, you know, they're caught up in the greed, the hatred, the delusion. They're caught up in the, the, the generational, the systemic hatred that's fostered by a lot of the, um, the greed that has put these, um, our cultures, um, our societies that have been, you know, are so, uh, the cultures that we are, that are dominant in the world today have a history of, um, of violence, have a history of plunder, have a history of colonialism, have a history of putting othering vast majorities of the world in order to benefit themselves. So to recognize that these people are caught up in this grand delusion that's been going on for, for centuries. And um, not that we forgive the actions, but that we try and have some forgiveness in our heart for people who are caught up in this shit. Um, and I think I heard somebody said there was a, um, a, a, a video of one of the fathers of someone who was killed at Christchurch who, who said, I forgive this person. Not the action. I think that's a real important distinction that he forgave the, the, the person, but not the action. And I remember in Charlottesville, I think the church put out a statement that they were forgiving. Uh, what's his face? The guy that they, they caught who did that. Um, so that's a really powerful, that's a powerful thing, but that's not an easy place to get to. Um, and it's something that we have to cultivate and bring into our minds and bring into, or start bringing into our hearts. That's kind of where I landed on this. And I also had this other quote from George Takai. What did he say? Um, George Takai, he, after the Paris shootings a couple of years ago at the concert, 
Um, he said, my heart is heavy with the news from Paris, aching for the victims and their families and friends. There no doubt will be those who look upon immigrants and refugees as the enemy as a result of these attacks because they look like those who perpetuated these attacks, just as peaceful Japanese Americans were viewed as the enemy after Pearl Harbor. But we must resist the urge to categorize and dehumanize, for it is that very impulse that fueled the insanity and violence that perpetrated this evening. Tonight, hold your loved ones and pray or wish for peace not only from guns and bombs, but from hatred and fear. If it is our freedom and joy they seek to destroy, give them not that victory. Against the forces of darkness and terror, love and compassion shall always prevail. These are, um, these are really powerful, powerful, powerful words. Um, and I don't think they're spoken lightly. And they're, they're something that I would really hopefully be able to, a place I would hope to be able to get to. And, you know, that's what the Buddha's teachings lays out. You know, this is what is done by those who are, um, I can't remember the line of the Metta Sutta, but this is the Loving Kindness Sutta, but this is what is done. We face the world with loving kindness in our hearts. We, we, we look at everyone, barring none, unconditional compassion and kindness, unconditional, but not letting go of accountability and responsibility. So that's the one branch that my head went down. It's like, okay, how do, how do we get to a place of that? How, if that's a response that's really wise. Don't have all the answers. Not, you know, I, I know for me it's been a practice of cultivating the hard practices and seeing clearly that this hatred doesn't, um, doesn't cease through hatred, knowing the history, that it doesn't work. And um, anyway, I'll get into that a little bit. And the other side that my brain went down is, okay, now what do we do? So loving kindness does not also imply pass passivity. It does not imply sitting in your house going, oh, you know, meta, meta. Like I say, it's not magic pixie dust. Loving kindness is, you don't shoot it out there and go, okay, everybody, um, wear flowers in your hair and everything will be okay. Um, instead, there's this, um, this, uh, this um, branch that you can go down that's about activism. And it, you know, looking at Ashoka, it goes, it goes way back in the history of Buddhism. Ashoka was this emperor who, after one battle where thousands and thousands and thousands of people were slaughtered, he said, this is, this is nonsense. And he adopted Buddhism, and he worked to, uh, to create peace throughout his empire, but he was working towards peace. And then, um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh says, action and meditation act together, um, meditation and action uh, act together. And he was the Vietnamese monk who got out of, walked out of his monastery and during the Vietnam War and said, we got to work towards doing something about this. And Bhikkhu Bodhi is a monk, a Theravada monk right now, who is very, um, very uh, uh, outspoken about getting off your cushions and getting out there and doing something and not just sitting around. He, he lived in, um, I think he was in Thailand or wherever he was, Sri Lanka, 
I don't remember where he was for many, many years. And when he came back to the States, he was an American, he was appalled by what he saw. And he says, nobody's doing anything. It's that, that passivity that seems to hit so many Buddhists that they think, oh no, you know, I can't do this. And in fact, I, I may have shared this before. I was talking to, I'm on a board of directors and there's this rabbi on the board and he said, I have shifted his idea of what Buddhists do because it's an activist organization. And he only knew, the Buddhists he knew were the ones that would kind of like throw magic pixie dust at problems and wait for it to get better. And I'm like, no, that's not really what it's about. It's about ending suffering where you see it. It's like, it's seeing where there's a problem and taking action it, with a base of peace and understanding and loving kindness. And, and actually, this is what Thich Nhat Hanh was saying. He was saying, we have to have this foundation of loving kindness in our hearts. We have to have a heart of compassion. And that's what feeds us when we do this work. We can't come to, um, I mean, we can, and we can use it as a driver. We can use anger as a driver, but it's not a sustainable place to, to work from. We have to really cultivate this foundation of compassion, to have compassion for ourselves and to have compassion for others and to see the world as, um, see everyone as an individual, not that there's this giant, you know, that there's the bad guys and the good guys. That's too easy. We have to really work towards um, um, helping everyone, um, but having that loving kindness in ourselves, which is, you know, which, which supports that first branch. Um, there's, a, no, there's a quote from Bhikkhu Bodhi. Yes, meditation is, is in seclusion and inwardly focused, but the embodiment of Dharma in the world is more, oh, is more complete, will be more complete by reaching out and addressing the grinding miseries that ail humanity. So the embodiment of Dharma in the world is to reach out and address the grinding misery that ails all humanity. So what they're asking us to do is to go out and um, do something about it. Theravadan Buddhism has this inclination towards seclusion. And in the Mahayana, the later Tibetan um, uh, and Tibetan um, practices, there's the not so much sitting and working in seclusion, but there's this idea of the bodhisattva, who is the the one who puts off his enlightenment until all beings are enlightened. And he said we can work from a combination of both of them so that um, we become more engaged. And there's this teaching around engaged Buddhism, which, um, what did somebody say, applies to our engagement as citizens and in relation to service. There's this other, there's this guy, Charles Johnson. I don't know if you know who Charles Johnson is. Yeah, the writer. He's also a Buddhist. He writes a lot for, um, he wrote a book called Middle Passage, which was really quite good. And he, um, he has a quote, he talks about right conduct, and I think he means like the precepts, right action. Translates dharma into specific actions of social responsibility. So right action translates the dharma into specific actions of social responsibility. So it's not just, again, sitting and working on it for yourself, but working on it for all beings. Um, taking those precepts, like the first precept, don't kill. Well, not just don't kill, but how do you end suffering? How do you end harm where you see it? 
You know, and don't just not steal, but how do you cultivate generosity? And those types of things. How do you help one another? Being wise with your speech, not just don't say what's not appropriate, but how do you speak truth to power? Really important. Did you have a question? Oh, that's yeah, yeah. I was thinking this past week about you're talking about compassion, right? We're talking about that. Yeah. I kind of, I think I kind of got a little bit more how having compassion for someone feels and how it's different from pity and compassion, right? I, I really couldn't put in two words. Like, do you, how do Buddhists or Buddha describe compassion? How did the Buddha describe? The word karuna means quivering of the heart. That's the compassion. Means you're touched by the the suffering of others. Um, and so that you're not. Did I did I find is that a quote I had found today? No, that's something else. But um, for me, it's um, I'm touched by others. I have this. My experience when I have compassion for others that I just am, I feel I have some kind of a, a visceral experience of being touched by their suffering um, or whatever's going on with them. And I was, I was actually reading something today, but I don't remember where it was. I was reading a lot of stuff today, so I was like, what? Um, about we, around compassion is... Um, we're not overcome with pity, but we, we, we recognize, I think it was a Rick Hansen quote. I was reading Rick Hansen's email today, and he was talking about that. And we recognize the humanity, uh, that everyone has to, experiences the human condition. So we don't other people. We're saying, well, they're less than, so they, you know, I don't care about their suffering. But we see all people equally, and we're able to be touched by it, but we're not overcome by it. So I'm touched by the suffering of, you know, the people in the world, because there's, there's a lot of suffering going on. But I don't say, you know, I don't, um, well, I don't know, there's a lot of suffering going on. So we, we recognize that, but we don't get into stories around it. Like saying, I have to do this, or I shouldn't be happy, I should not eat dinner because there's so many people starving. You know, we have to have a, an awareness of our own experience and be where we are and be with what our experience is. So we just, um, when I hear things, I'm touched. I'm just, I have this emotion, I have a, a visceral, a physical uh, experience a lot of times. Sometimes I don't. And then I just kind of am with that. And then, you know, I, sometimes I can do something. A lot of times there's this, what can, can I do anything? Because a lot of times the compassion is a call to action, too. Oh, I don't have Kuan Yin, I have Tara. But that's the, the image of Kuan Yin and her royalty. She's like ready, she's, she's ready to jump. She hears the cries of the world. She's the embodiment of compassion and is ready to jump into action. So I don't know if that helps you in any way, shape, or form, but it's just that I am touched by others. I don't need to have, I'm not afraid of the pain of the world. You know, I think that's what Kuan Yin um, represents. She's not afraid of the suffering that exists in this world. She's able to turn towards it. She's able to see it. She's able to greet her own and others. 
and say, yeah, this is the reality of the human condition. I see this. I'm not, I'm not in denial. I'm not blaming. I'm not in pity. I'm saying, what's well, your fault? If you hadn't done this, this wouldn't be it. That could be true in some places, but the suffering is real. And I'm, so, I'm going um, to acknowledge that. So that's where the compassion comes from. And for me, the practice of the more I would learn to be compassionate towards myself, the compassion for others seemed to bubble up more freely. And it wasn't actually an effort that I had to make. But it was just kind of there. The effort was to be compassionate towards myself. That was where the, the bulk of the work was. And then the compassion for others kind of flowed out from that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. So um, then please, if any questions, feel free to jump in. Um, one of, there's a, so how do you do this? How do you, how do you jump into action? And one of the ways. Diana Winston, we all know Diana Winston. Oh, I shouldn't assume we all know Diana Winston. Some of us know Diana Winston. She's a teacher. Um, uh, she's actually director of the Mindful, Mindfulness Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA, Mark. Uh, yeah, I kept saying mindfulness, but that wasn't right. It was mindful. Okay. Um, so, but years ago, she wrote an article. She was very much involved in engaged Buddhism and, and social justice and social action. And she wrote a a piece about how to be a bodhisattva, which is that person who um, um, puts off their uh, puts off their um, awakening, um, and for the benefit of all beings. And the article she wrote, and this is from Tricycle, I think, from like a gazillion years ago. I don't know; it doesn't have a thing on it, um, but it's from. Oh, it's based on a talk given at the Southern Dharma Center in, in 2001. So it's from, um, you know, she goes, the day the U.S. began bombing Afghanistan. So if you can imagine, we've been, we've been in Afghanistan since uh, for a very long time. Um, so it's, it's, you too can be a bodhisattva. And the bodhisattva vow, which I always butcher, is written here. And it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. So that's a Mahayana, a, a, a later tradition. But it's also a really valuable way to look at the world. It's like, how can I be of service? That's, you know, practicing generosity. That's the second precept. Not taking, but being of service. How can I be of service in the world? And this is, this is the quote I saw today in Rick. Some of these emails actually have some good stuff in them. He, um, Rick Hansen's email, he, was, um, he quoted someone who I'd never heard of. His name is Nkosi Johnson. He was a young boy who was born in South Africa with HIV, and he died at the age of 12, but apparently he was very much an activist for, uh, he actually was born, yeah, he died of AIDS. And he was an activist or an advocate for people with HIV and AIDS. And his quote is, paraphrased, um, do what you can with what you've been given in the place where you are with the time that you have. It's basically a long way of saying, start where you are. 
really be not get into this idea of grandiosity, which I used to think years ago, I have to be Mother Teresa. And if I can't be Mother Teresa, then why bother? You know, um, do what you can, or his actual quote is, do all you can with what you have and the time you have and the place you are. Do what you can with what you have, like going down to the food bank. That's something. Making a phone call, doing something, showing up at a march, doing something. Some people can do much more than other people. I'm involved, as I said, in this organization, this board of directors that's a very activist organization. And I seem to be on every board, on every committee they have. I'm like, I'm not out getting arrested. I'm like in the back room, but doing, it's really important work to help this organization continue. And it's like, yeah, hey, what are you up? Um, but that's, that's kind of where I've ended up. So I'm doing what I can with what I have, where it's needed. So being a bodhisattva is like being of service how you can where you are. And um, she wrote these eight steps out. And the first one is your intention. And intention drives everything. You know, mind follows the mind. We incline our minds to move in the direction of being of service, where we can, with what we have, when we can, with the time we have. And she talks about bodhicitta. So we incline our mind to have an awakened heart. Um, and may our intention grow in this direction. So have this intention. Set this up as a foundation, a way that you want to craft your life. It doesn't have to be grandiose, as I say, but if there's, a, if there's an opportunity and you have this foundation of mindfulness that you're aware, you can perhaps take an action in the moment because you're paying attention. But if you're not paying attention and you haven't laid this groundwork or you know, created the, the soil, the causes and conditions to support it, it's, um, it may not be as apparent for you to take the step, but if you move in the direction and say, this is where I want to go, then you kind of walk in that, end up there. Um, secondly, she says, make sure you have uh, some kind of a spiritual practice to support you, to keep the awareness there, to, to know yourselves more clearly. And that's what this meditation practice is, this mindfulness practice is. It's really a practice of, of seeing clearly. Insight practice is beginning to open up and see clearly how our minds work how we're, we're caught up in the causes and the conditioning of our life and the conditions of society at large and our families and everything, and to see clearly and begin to let go of that conditioning. So practice, practicing some kind of spiritual um, um, uh, way um, is really, really helpful. And learn to let go of your results. And I love this sentence. Think in geological time. Don't think that you're going to get it all done by next week or by 2020. Because everybody's like, 2020, this will all change. And it's like, <laughs> you know, the changes that have been made in, this, in, the, in our world have taken a long time, have been generational a lot of times. So know, um, know that it takes time. And I've talked to people about this, that they get... I know a lot of activists burn out, people who are organizers, they burn out because the, they're not seeing the results and they feel like they're spinning their wheels and they're doing something for nothing. And that, you know, that's, that can be really um, painful and debilitating. And to see if you can let go of that 
attachment to results and just say, if there's a need, can I show up where there's a need? And to nourish yourself, that's really important. I don't know if she has that in here, but to really take care of yourself is really important. To, to know when to say, I'm just, I'm just not opening the curtains today and I'm just gonna read junk books or do whatever is nourishing for you. I think that's really important. She said to take action and act wisely. You know, take actions that are supporting the direction you want to go in. What, what serves? Um, know the history of, of the movement that you're involved in. You know, she said, mentioned Gandhi and MLK and the history of nonviolence and the labor movement. Understand racism. Understand the Dharma. I mean, know what's going on. See the big picture. It's so easy to get tunnel vision. But to really, again, this helps you look when you're thinking in geological time, you have the big picture. You go, oh, you know, um, um, people were enslaved for 400 years in this country. That doesn't mean abolitionist movements weren't happening, but it took a long time. You know, women's suffrage took a long time. LGBTQ rights took a long time. And you see, they go and there's, there's, there, and then there's some backlash, and we're in a we're in a period of huge backlash right now for all the the progress that has been made over the last few years. You know, I think I think Trump is almost a direct result of Obama. I mean, a reaction to Obama. It's like you know the the white um, the white old white majority is seeing that maybe their numbers are dwindling and so there's going to be a pushback. Make America great again. Let's go back to when it was shitty for everybody else except white people. You know? So that's, that's, you see the big picture. It really helps to put things in perspective and there was a woman when I was talking about this the other night, she was saying, yeah, this is, you know, my, hopefully a way to look at it is this is like the death knell of white nationalism because they're like, uh, we got to do something because it's not going our way anymore. So who knows? I don't have the answers, but to pay attention and know that stuff. Get some community. Don't do this alone. Have, have a support group, whether it's people in, you know, Kalyanamita, people on spiritual friends that are nourishing, or you have a little crew that you run with that, that has your back, or the people you're working with, the organizations that you're you're active with are, are solid. Have a crew that, that knows you and supports you. Because it's not it's the whole of the spiritual life. You know, the Buddha said it's the whole of the spiritual life to be in community with others. Because we're not alone. You know, we may sit with our eyes closed and practice, but it's only a, that's just practice to support us as we walk out and be in community with others. It's all of the spiritual life. And know that there will be obstacles. There are going to be the obstacles you face out there. And there's going to be the obstacles like of self-doubt, of self-judgment, of where to act, of, of, of saying, I'm not ready. But, you know, Nike, just do it. Just do it. Like, like this wonderful book, do what you can, where you can, with what you have and the time you have. What can you do? Can you give five minutes? Then give five minutes. Can you, can you give a day? Give a day. So, um, and the payoff is you, it's a hell of a meaningful life. A, you might make some change. You might end suffering in some way, shape, or form. And it feels really good. It's a meaningful life. Because a meaningful life is not, 
riches and you know cars and all that stuff it's um what you what you have inside i just read a book yesterday it was a really short book i took yesterday off and just read and um there's a book called fame by justine bateman and it was really short and she was in a huge tv show in the 80s uh, <laughs> family ties yeah it was like ginormous it was a huge hit and um, she was 16 when it when it hit, and she and she wrote this book. It wasn't a memoir. It was just like what fame is, and it was like a stream of consciousness. And she said fuck a lot and shit a lot, <laughs> and she was just like bleh. But she like had this this life cycle of fame. Um, when people paint you with a reality that's not you and how to learn to deal with it and um it was really interesting and how if you get sucked into that and you're out and fame then becomes everything and when it goes away if you haven't done the work internally you're screwed you're absolutely screwed because you're chasing something that you have no control over because you have no control over fame it comes and it goes and she said, you know it's going when you're on the red carpet and they're, and they're looking behind you. Because <laughs> they want you to move on for the, the person behind you. She said, it was really interesting. She said, it's like, it's like when you're making popcorn and when the popping starts to slow down, that's when you know you have to take it off the fire or take it out of the microwave. She goes, when those cameras start slowing down, that's when you have to move. Don't let them stop because then it's too late. So... Anyway, it was a really interesting book, but it's like, it points to this, the meaningful life is not from out there, and it's what you're doing, it's being of service. Because I think if any of you have ever done anything like that, and you reflect on what that feels like, you know? Because if, if you have a billion dollars, these people who are billionaires, apparently it's not enough, because they still want more. I mean, how much is enough? I, mean, I don't know, but... Try me, I'll let you know. <laughs> so, um, so those are those are my thoughts about you know really um, this this whole world that we inhabit, that we were born into, that we took birth in, and so you know I we're citizens of the planet right now, and I think however we show up, I think it's an important it's an important thing to pay attention and show up however we can, when we can, with what we have and the time we have. I just love that. I'm going to use that to death. Um, so those are my thoughts. I'm happy to have any questions or conversation or comments about um, uh, what um, anything that jumps out for you in all of this.